and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about reducing erosion on the farm. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's happening in your farm right now, we'd be happy to take your phone call. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. So we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, let's talk a little about this erosion topic. The two biggest things I would say in terms of reducing erosion on the farm, number one, reducing your tillage, and number two, drain tile. Let's talk about the tillage thing first. So this is something where I think about even our own farm. We've got I don't know what percent of our acres, 20% of our acres probably, that would technically be considered highly erodible land. So we have a lot of slope, at least on some of our ground. And so back almost 30 years ago, we took those acres, turned them into strip till, or sorry, no till for a while, then strip till now. But I mean, it was just a dramatic difference where we'd been doing full scale tillage versus no till. The erosion was, was so much reduced. It was fun to see. I mean, we, we we didn't make enough changes, and so we didn't do a good job farming in no-till. But I'm just saying the one thing that was a significant improvement for us was reduced erosion. In terms of the tile, the reason why tile reduces erosion, and if you look at the studies, it'll show 40 to 60% erosion reduction when you put tile in the field. The reason why is because when rain hits, if you've got tile in the field. Now you will have the water table lower. So there's a reservoir you've created to hold water. So when rain lands, it can soak in as opposed to if you don't have tile and your water table is all the way to the surface of the soil, where does the rain have to go? Well, it has to run off. So anyway, when soil leaves your field, when erosion does happen, you got to think about, hey, you're not just losing dirt. You're losing potentially herbicides or whatever chemicals you've applied. You're losing fertilizer. And if you were ever to do this on your farm, you and I realize this would be a little bit painstaking, but you could take a couple spots. Your top tenth of an inch is obviously the most at risk for loss to wind or rain erosion, right? So that top tenth of an inch, how many of your nutrients do you think are in that top tenth of an inch? I'll bet you if you test on your farm, you will find a staggering amount of nutrients. What I'm saying here is if that tenth of an inch, the top tenth of an inch, if your soil was equal to that all the way down to 12 inches deep, you'd be able to raise such tremendous crop, it'd be unbelievable. So I'm just trying to tell you here, it's not just the soil you're losing, it's all the stuff that's in that soil. And then in that top tenth of an inch, you've most likely got at least some amount of chemical that you don't want to lose. So whether it's herbicide or insecticide or whatever. And then the bigger factor is this, the fertility. Look at how expensive fertilizer is today. You don't want to lose that little bit of soil that has a huge percentage of your soil's fertility. So anyway, just some things for you to think about as we go into the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! 
All right. Uh, lots of questions today. I got this one from K9 who said, love your videos. Uh, lots of detail in them. Really appreciate the detail, uh, especially interested in phosphorus in high pH soils. Yeah, I see why, K9. That's, that is a big deal. In those high pH soils, a lot of times we have a tough time getting phosphorus to be available. And there's such a difference in the soil test recommendations. Once you get into that high pH ground too, we like the Olson test. We like the Malik 3 test, uh, but we don't really like those Bray tests. And we do see them run occasionally in those high pH soils. So I've got a son who is in college. Let's see, he's 20 years old right now, junior in college. And anyway, he called me yesterday because he was out on a, at a farmer's place and, and riding in the combine for a while. And anyway, he, he just had some agronomy questions. And I started getting uh, deep into the agronomy thing. And just to, to the last email and, and the point there, the detail with some of the things that we talk about, we actually try not to get into a ridiculous amount of detail for this exact reason. Just like my son yesterday, I start going going way into stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, I forget. I better step back just a little bit and really explain what I'm talking about here. And uh, anyway, you, you can get real down into the weeds, literally, uh, in terms of the agronomy discussion, but we try to hopefully keep it as simple as possible so it's as usable as possible for you on your farm. But anyway, if you have any questions for us ever, we're more than happy to answer them really for any of our listeners or viewers. And if you want us to get super into detail, we can. Otherwise, we'll at least tell you the the things that we feel like you need to know and the things that hopefully will get you on the right path so you can raise better crops and just as importantly, make more money on the farm. Thanks for the question, Mike. Uh, also had one here about ear size and corn, and he said, you mentioned various factors talking about that even emergence is really important. I'm wondering, do you feel like even emergence is the determinant factor that plants get to pollination at the same time? Any thoughts about that? Well, yeah. I, I mean, if a plant starts out behind, then it's probably not going to catch up all the way through pollination. So if a plant is, let's say, two leaf stages ahead, is it going to pollinate a little bit sooner? Probably. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we, we definitely see that, that. And then here's the thing. If you're not watching that field throughout the year, all of a sudden, well, everything's tasseled and it looks fairly similar. Well, of course, it's going to catch up. Eventually, they're all going well, to wait, tassel wait. and the vegetative growth is done. It, it, doesn't ca it never catches up. What it does is it ends up in the same stage because once you're at tassel, you're at tassel for a long time. So the next one will eventually get to tassel, but it never technically catches up. So that plant will usually, I can't say always, but usually be behind all the way until harvest. And that's one of the reasons why we see variants in terms of moisture in, I mean, from one ear to the next from time to time. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll have a discussion about reducing erosion coming up right after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. It is going to be a fun show. We're going to talk about reducing erosion on the farm. We're also going to take your calls and questions throughout at 844 44 ag phd and get to a, a number of emails that came in here over the weekend radio at ag is our box if you'd like to send something in that way too let's start off with the phone lines here we got jim in ohio with us right now jim how are you doing today well doing a lot better the sun's shining it's not raining <laughs> yeah it's funny that I have to get to november before that finally changes but yes here we are in november yeah. we've had uh Twelve and a half inches of rain the last two months. Oh my goodness! Yes, and I have got some wheat planted, and it's got some drowned out spots in it. Okay. I got a I got a question here. Can a guy plant winter wheat in the spring in them drowned out spots? Well, that's a good question. How how big is the wheat that that actually made it? Uh, it's probably about an inch and a half or so. Oh, so it's just getting started. Yeah. You can, yeah. Even, you can even dormant. I, we've got guys in South Dakota that will dormant seed some wheat in right. those spots right now, and that's right. that's been their strategy. Yep. But if it's still, like, too wet to get in those spots, I, I see what you mean. You're hoping yeah, it's going to be out. another 10 days before you get out there. Okay. Well, I know what Brian will be doing. Before Brian answers, before I give him a chance to answer, Brian will be pulling a drain tile plow right through there, Jim. That, that'd that be Brian's. I'm, I'm just going to guess. That's what I that's plan what he's on doing, doing this summer in uh, in that wheat field. That's why I planted the wheat. Yep. But, yeah, honestly, I, I mean, whatever you put in there is going to be way behind. So generally speaking, when we have spots like that, we will either do nothing with it because we're going to take that crop out so early or, I mean, we might just throw some little cover in there and destroy it. Because otherwise, you're going to be waiting an extra month to harvest that wheat, most likely, if you try to seed it in the spring. So, winter wheat will produce wheat in a spring without going into dormancy? 
That's a fantastic question. I don't know for sure if it will. If well, it was I me, I would just I try this. planting We've... spring wheat is what I would do. But yeah. anyway, yeah, I'm we... just saying in spots. Well, but... nobody nobody's buying spring wheat in this area here. Well, yeah, but how big are these spots? Well, there are some, well, maybe half acre here and there. Right. Yeah, I'd my, throw my... some seed out there this fall. That'd be my, that'd be my, sol- right. my solution. Right. I, I, I probably would too. Because here's my point. It, it's, it's, it's small. In, in terms of what we're doing. So even if you have to destroy it, and that's why I was just saying, if nothing else, we either do nothing in those spots or we'll throw a little cover out there or whatever. But if you have to wait until spring to seed a spring wheat or a soybean or literally anything, then you're going to have all those spots that you really want to pull tile through and you're not going to be able to harvest them for at least a month after your winter wheat is ready to go. So I, I, it, to me, it's not worth it for some tiny little spots. Because, I mean, you stop and think about what's a half acre even worth. I mean, even if we had a fantastic crop, that half acre is probably only worth 300 bucks, you know? Well, I like to get every 300 bucks. <laughs> well, I'm with you. <laughs> with but you, by Jim. the same token, it, I mean, if it's you don't worth want some... It, if you don't want 300 bucks, send her this way. I do, but you're <laughs> well, not going to get 300 I, bucks a, now anyway, I'm and a, that's kind of my I'm point. I'm with Jim, though. He wants to put that 300 bucks into tile next year. I think that's a great solution. Well, yeah, but he wants the $300 and putting the tile in, and my point is I don't know that you can have both. That's all. So, so you don't really have an answer saying if I would go out there next spring with uh, winter wheat, it would – I'm sure it'd grow, but would it produce a head? I think it would. I'm I asking a lot of people I, that I, nobody knows. Yeah, I, I really don't know. I've never done that, but well, I, I would, would think it's going to produce. Of course it would, because if you have dormant seeded wheat, Darren, you literally just said, yeah, guys seed dormant right. wheat, it doesn't come up till the spring. Yeah. Of course it's going to produce a head. That's, that's, that's not I mean. the problem. The problem is it's going to be a month delayed versus all the other wheat that you've got out in that field. So if you don't mind going around those spots and harvesting and then harvesting them later. And now that in effect delays your tiling project for what, what, what's here. Here's the thing. Back when we started doing tiling on our farm, our dad said, well, this is going to be real easy for you guys because it's all your junky spots that you aren't getting diddly squat out of anyway. And you got to go right through those. So who cares if you tear through them? So, I mean, it's up to you, whatever you want to do. I'm just saying you're not going to get your $300 in those spots anyway, and you're going to delay everything if you wait to touch them until you've had the chance to harvest them because they have not grown now. And because now, even if you do throw some seed out there in 10 days, you've still got a wet area and it's not going to produce like the rest of the field. Well, usually we don't get this much rain. This is the record-breaking rain. <laughs> no, I, I no, hear, that's I, for sure. I, I feel for you because we've been in the exact same boat, uh, 2018 and 2019. It was horrible. I, I mean, we had double normal rainfall. And in the fall, I don't even remember that one year what we had. It was, it was, yeah, it was 2019, the fall of 2019. And we had like 10 inches or some ridiculous thing in one shot. And I, I mean, it was, it was just, it was unbelievable. So anyway, no, we we there's, definitely feel for still you. A lot of, a lot of crops out here need harvesting yet. Yep, yep. Like I say, we were in the exact same boat a couple of years ago. It just stinks, and unfortunately, sometimes you end up having to wait until everything freezes so you can get out into those spots. We've had to do that 
uh, many times in the past as well. And that's where this whole tile thing, why we talk about it so much, because it's just helped get past those things. Because it, it it's just it's kind of like what you're going through right now. It's the worry and, you know, the headache and just the anxiety that it brings on a person. And that's the biggest thing that I tell people all the time. Like for us, getting all the tile in that we have, it's made farming fun again for us. Because for a while there, it was not fun because we kept going around these wet holes, dealing dealing with them just like you're dealing with. It's the same kind of stuff. And we, we'd pull out, in some fields, we were out there four times seeding. And it was just so much work to get so little money uh, because the yield was terrible and it was not a lot of acres. But now that we got those things taken care of, we farm everything straight through, you know, spring, fall, everything, it's awesome. So you don't have no answer for me about when you plant winter wheat in the spring, what happens to it? Well, I don't know why it wouldn't produce a head. But again, my point is everything's going to be dramatically delayed. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. My trouble is I got to wait for ditchers anyway around here. I don't have my own plow. Sure. But sometimes, you know, I don't know how much wheat is raised in your area. I don't think it's a tremendous amount. Uh, But I just say there are a lot of those guys that they aren't doing anything sometimes right in the middle of the summer. So if you can get that wheat off early, then sometimes you can get them out there. That's why I planted wheat there. Right. Price of wheat is sneaking up to almost eight dollars a bushel. Oh yeah, no, I know it's it's not too bad, but yeah, I'm still with Darren. If it was me, I'd throw something out this fall if you can get to it, even if it's dormant seeded, and just at least give that a shot. So that way, when stuff gets going in the spring, even if the soil isn't the best, you can uh, you can go. All right, uh, hey uh, Jim, we got to get running, but uh, but thanks okay, a lot. Okay, well, thanks for your information. Then. You bet, appreciate it. Yeah, those drown out spots are no fun and it's it's been a tough fall. I know a lot of a lot of guys are complaining too that they've got soybeans out in the field and that's a challenge. Hey, uh, we got Ken up in Ontario that wants to jump on right now. Ken, uh how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm heading to the field with the sugar beet harvester. We're gonna get digging beets again here after all this rain. There you <laughs> but, go. Uh, I was listening listen to Jim from Ohio. I'm in southwestern Ontario, right by Michigan, and he's straight south of me. And uh, that wheat question really uh, uh, got me because the uh, first thing, that wheat needs to be planted sometime before spring. But you can plant that anytime. Tell him to, tell Jim if he's still listening. He We've is. done this before. We've had, I know exactly what the problem is there. we got lots of it this year with the, our winter wheat looks terrible. It's drowned out here everywhere and sick looking, but... You can. Uh, I had a neighbor plant wheat in January once here, and it was okay. And it comes off almost the same time as the regular wheat. Okay. So, uh, Brian was indicating a month later. That now that won't be the case. You're lucky if it's a week later. And, and uh, so I would I would recommend if he can get out there any time between now and spring and plant it. He should do it. Yep, that's kind of why I was asking him how far along it is. I know some of the guys in, in the Dakotas have got some just fantastic-looking winter wheat right now that's got a pretty good jump on things, but uh, his is only an inch and a half tall. I think I agree with you 100%, Kim. Ken, thank you so much. Really appreciate the call. Yeah, you're welcome. Keep it up. You bet. You too. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. 
It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and our next guest has been very patient with us. We've got Tony Bailey. He's an NRCS state conservationist over in Indiana. And uh, Tony, you're on for that whole winter wheat segment there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that guys are thinking about. One of the things that's great about winter wheat, and I love this, and we see it all the time in our state too, is that it's such great ground cover. Man, we greatly reduce erosion in those fields too. Yeah, we sure do. Um, see a lot of uh, wonderful impacts from uh, from wheat and, and other small grains. And there's lots of other good covers too. You bet. You bet. So we're talking about reducing erosion. And this has been one of the cool things. And I, I know in our lifetime, we've seen a, a nice reduction in 
what's happened with erosion over the years. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? I know NRCS has really been a big player in this and really encouraging farmers and helping farmers to to change some practices and focus on some things that, that have really, really helped reduce erosion. Yeah, we have a, just a wonderful history um, going back to uh, inception of Soil Conservation Service in 1935. And we've tried to work proactively with farmers to uh, do everything they can to to control erosion and um, you know just just a lot of different things come into play with that so anything we can do to reduce tillage um, no-till strip till things like that as, as long as we can keep that soil armored as long as we can keep crop residue or trash whatever you call it out there on the soil surface um, we have a good chance you bet absolutely and now you know in just recent years here has been a lot more focus on on cover crops and those types of things uh, certainly farmers are are trying to do what they can to protect against wind and water erosion what where have we really made the big gains is has it been mostly with some of the tillage changes well you know i think it's a combination of things um yeah tillage changes you know you think about um you know years ago at this time uh we would be fall plowing everything uh fortunately we don't do that anymore um so when we started to um you know the chisel plows and all the other different uh, tillage implements that we have at our disposal um that really helps so we can leave some residue out there i think i think one of the things when i think back to the, the late 80s for us here in indiana anyways as we were promoting no-till and strip-till, I think one thing that we missed out on at that time was trying to get cover crops out there first. And I say that from the standpoint, if we'd have got cover crops out there first, I think we'd have got some soil biology going out there that would have been ready for that residue that we would have just, you know, that we're just going to flop out there and hope that good things happen with instead of it being a, a cold, stale seedbed in the spring. I think if we'd have done covers first, um, I think it would have made some of our high residue planning systems work better. You know, that's a, that's an interesting point. And I, I remember too, cause we, we, Brandon and I, uh, our dad grew up in North central Iowa and he was used to black fields and <laughs> we, we had a little go around on the farm about, we need to reduce erosion here. And he really didn't like seeing last year's corn stock sticking up through our, our bean crop for a good portion of the, the early season. But you know what? He grew to, uh, to appreciate a lot of the benefits there too. And you mentioned that soil biology. That's, that's so key. And we see lots of difference going from one farm to the next they could even be right across the road where where there's lots of earthworms and lots of things going on in the soil and a lot faster residue breakdown so what do you do if you're if you're late to the game and you say okay i missed out on that uh i i always look at it as there's never a wrong time to to start making the best decision you can make well that's exactly right you know and trying to pick um you know what am i going to do different this fall next spring next summer and i think they're just incremental changes uh, each operation is different, uh, where they're at with their equipment, uh, decision-making, you know, if, if they tried no-till in late eighties, it didn't work. Um, they might not, you know, might not still be there now. Um, so I, I would really, really encourage, um, trying to figure out where to get some, uh, cover crops established somewhere on the farm. Uh, take that, that tough field, that booger field, you know, you're having a tough time with it anyways. Why not put some covers out there and, and get something else going on with it. And then, uh, whether you're, no till or strip till and i think strip till has a lot of good places um in, in this up op- in the operations as well yeah and i think you know one, one thing we always talk about too is we'll start small you haven't tried it before great uh, pick one field split it 
or run some strips out there. I know a lot of guys in our state were doing strips out in fields, and then they'd watch the next year and what management practices worked the best to to go through those strips of cover crops. Did it work better killing it off in the fall or letting it grow or, or whatnot, changing the timings up and which cover they were using. One other thing that, that we've run into is a little bit of a challenge, Tony, and we've got this going on on our farm too, is manure. And we've got a neighboring dairy, and they need more acres to get manure spread. So they put put manure on ours, and they're injecting it down in the ground. But they've got to do at least a little bit of tillage to get that manure safely below the ground. We went with a cover this year in addition to the manure. Is that getting popular, or how do other guys handle manure? Yeah, manure is a challenge. Um, you know, so many times uh, you know, we want to try and, uh, you know, get that um soil contact with that with that manure a uh, bit of a challenge there but i think in the situation that you're talking about uh, there's some really interesting potential with that trying to get that that manure injected and we want to try and use some sort of a, a low disturbance injector um, get that manure below the soil surface um, and then how do we get cover crops to be standard operating procedure with all those manure applications and and then i think the debate is is the cover crop already established are you putting the cover crop on at the same time? Exactly. Or are you following back up with it? Yep, yep. That's it. that's exactly right. And I know for us, where where we're putting manure on ground, uh, the the challenge is always we don't want to put the manure on too early because we don't want to lose nutrients. But if we've got a cover there, how many of those nutrients can the cover hold for us so we don't lose them? And I don't know. We got a lot more to learn on that. We that's one of the things I want to talk to you about. The other thing I was thinking about is the riparian areas. And I know every state looks at things just a little bit different, and certainly every farmer looks at things different. But I, I know we've got uh, a focus on grass waterways and. If we've got streams or rivers or lakes or whatnot, having riparian areas as well, how big a difference do they make? Do you have some stats on that or, or just some experience to share? Well, you know, anything we can do to, um, um, you know, protect those areas. Um, you know, if we have a grass water way there, all that soil that's eroding in that gully, 100% of that soil is being deposited in a waterway. So if we can get a grass waterway there, we've at least slowed that down. Um, if we put a filter strip between the field and, and that uh, riparian area, we're probably at least not applying annual nutrients on that side anymore if we put grasses on there. So, you know, we're no longer putting on 200 pounds of nitrogen and 50 pounds of phosphorus or whatever the case might be or, or pesticides that have potential, higher potential of running off or, or drifting off into places that we don't want them. So um, those areas are real important. Uh, those edge of field practices, just real, real crucial. There's a lot of different practices that go into this. There isn't, you know, just like anything in agriculture, there just isn't this silver bullet that, oh, you do this one thing and everything <laughs> magically comes together. I, I love how you looked at this too. You know, even the reducing tillage, it was great that we did, you know, back in the late eighties and, and some guys were, were earlier adopters than that, of course, but but uh, just finding ways to improve soil health and improve residue breakdown and those kinds of things. There's just lots of little catches to this that you kind of learn over time. Yeah, you know, we're I, I, all the different challenges, whatever you have uh, in agriculture, we are just so fortunate, so blessed to be farming in America, however you want to slice it. We got some of the best soils in the world. How do we maintain and protect them and do what we can to preserve them um so we need them for feed fuel fiber forage whatever we're going to use them for and um that that topsoil 
Now that's really precious. How do we keep that in place? We pay a lot of money, pay a lot of money for, for that land. Uh, we pay a lot for that topsoil. And what do we do to, to preserve and protect it? Yeah, you're exactly right. We, we definitely have to appreciate that. And, um, and be responsible how we're caring for our land. We're talking with Tony Bailey here with NRCS. He's a state conservation agronomist in Indiana. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, the thoughts and, and ideas you shared today, and, and good luck to you here. All right. Thanks so much. You guys too. You bet. Thanks. Yeah, reducing erosion is just so critical, and Brian was talking about this earlier, and I think some of the, the words Tony had there at the end were, were really tying into the same thought we we put so much into this soil especially this topsoil and there's so many nutrients there we want to keep that in our field and uh, just from an economic benefit of course and environmentally that's that's really key too we'll continue our discussion on reducing erosion we'll also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD we'll be right back after this It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. A lot can happen between fall anhydrous ammonia applications and early corn growth the following spring. NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer protects nitrogen between fall applications until critical corn growth stages, helping produce maximum yield at harvest. Fall applied applications of NSERV have been proven to increase yield by 7% on average. Nitrogen is one of your most expensive inputs each season. Protect that investment with NSERV. For more information, contact your local retailer or visit nitrogenmaximizers.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications, 
and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Kurt had sent in a comment here back to Jim's uh, talk about wheat earlier. He had some spots out in his winter wheat that that had drowned out. Kurt said, uh, "Hey, get you can get some hard spring wheat that Westbred's got that, when drilled in March, is only about a week longer in maturity than the winter hard wheat." And Kurt's from Northwest Kansas, so yeah, kind of the same talk that we had those. Those spots got to get something growing out there. It's a big deal. And I know somebody else that always says, boy, it's sure good to have something growing out there in the soil is Ray Archuleta. Uh, Ray, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. All right. So one thing I like, too, about you, Ray, is that you actually farm, too. And, you know, so many times yep. people are saying, oh, that's just a theory. But uh, I I would guarantee, I haven't been to your farm, but I would guarantee that you're putting what you're saying into practice on your farm. Oh, I have to because I believe that my soil's alive. And so if I believe the soil's alive, I have to feed it. And the only way to feed it is through living plants and animals. That's the way the soil gets fed. Yeah, it's interesting too, where where people think, oh, I'm just I'm just uh, putting plant food out there, but really we've got to run all that plant food through our microbes in their soil to to get things going. And uh, we had Tony Bailey on earlier. He's a NRCS state conservationist over in Indiana. You may know Tony. Uh, yeah. He he was talking about just how some of the guys that, that had reduced tillage but weren't doing other things to improve soil health were having challenges yep. back in the late 80s. And I, I'm sure you worked with yes. worked through that with a lot of guys. How long does it take to yep. turn that around? Well, we've seen it. It's amazingly. It depends on the cover crop you use, like for our cereal rye or these grasses, these fibrous roots. We've seen changes in a year. In other words, increase the pore space and aggregation just a year. We did that in uh, in Arkansas where you couldn't even push the water out. That's how much the porosity in the flood system, the water didn't get to the end. So in other words, porosity infiltration changes right away. But the changing the health of the nutrient cycle is a little more sophisticated and a little more difficult. That takes about three to five years of good cover crop and reduced and going into a no-till reduced system. So nutrient cycling takes a lot longer, but infiltration it takes and building porosity can help it happen within a year. Yeah, I think that's important as as farmers look at changing practices because, well, I, I know this with, with just people in general because I've got a bunch of young people in my house that I'm trying to raise. They want the results right now, Ray. They're, they're so impatient. And I happen to farm with a, a brother that is kind of a little impatient too. He wants everything to happen right away. And, and when you say, okay, here's some things you can look for right now, and here's some things you can look for down the road, I think that's a great and healthy way to look at it. I, I totally agree with you. I think a lot of us don't realize that our soils have been destroyed for the last three or 400 years, just the way that we farm. Last couple of hundred years, the way we farm is very, very intrusive. Lots of tillage, lots of chemicals, lots of fertilizer, lots of, and really poor rotations. I don't think people realize that, you know, soybean is really hard on the land. In other words, you have a legume that has a really poor root system leaks nitrogen and aggregation changes daily you know aggregates change every 27 days so what is that why should i care about aggregation well that's the pore space that's the lungs of the soil so if you have too much nitrogen poor rotations you diminish infiltration 
you diminish pore space. Most people don't realize the soil is an absolutely living system. It changes daily. So that's the best thing they can do after soybean is cover that soil after corn, cover that soil with a great fibrous root system. It changes everything. And it protects it and keeps it cool and feeds the microbes like you just talked about. So all of this is important. But here's the most key important thing. Once you realize that the soil's alive just like you, in fact, the ancient people used to call the plant the mouth of the soil. Think about that. It's the mouth. It feeds it, and it protects that soil's ecosystem. So once you get that kind of concept, you'll never leave that ground bare. You know, when we look at erosion, this is just a terrible, terrible thing. And I, I'll see pictures yeah. that people will post, and it, it it's shocking and bad. And we definitely know that we don't want to have it. But but sometimes some of the practices cost a little bit of money, and that always makes everybody nervous that, oh, no, i got to spend money on this. I'm not going to get a return. And, again, I think it, sometimes it's short-sighted that we're looking for that immediate financial return, that this is going to mean 20 more bushels per acre. No, it's a, it's a long-term return on investment is going to return every single year. What do you think our biggest challenge is in, in reducing erosion? Is it is it just simply not doing the tillage or is it or is it more complicated than that? You know what I think, honestly? I really think the people do not, most producers do not, and I, I felt this, I was taught the same way. We don't believe that the soil's alive. The moment you believe it's alive, it changes everything everything the way you farm the way you ranch it changes your whole perspective because once you know it's alive you got to feed it you got to protect it you got to nurture it that changes all your practices it changes the way you do business and then you made a comment it says well i'm not going to get returned i said well hold on a second i had a farmer says ray i'm broke i can't even afford i can't even afford the cover crop seed and i said i said okay you eat every day don't you he goes, yeah. How am I going to get work if I can't, if you don't eat? Soil's the same way. The moment you put a living plant, you start feeding those microbes. They start making phosphorus, nitrogen, potassium, and all those nutrients available with the microbes. And then you can back up. I said, don't put any phosphorus. Don't put any potassium. Back off on those inputs. That'll pay for your cover crop. But you back off with test, taking the test. But a lot of times, the fungi and the bacteria will make it available. So again, you know what the biggest problem? People don't believe the soil's alive and they think it's a growing medium. That's the problem. And that's why we're losing 30, 50 tons of soil, depending on what uh, county in Iowa or wherever you're at. But we're not losing five tons. We're losing double or triple what they've been saying. You know, we were talking with uh, with Tony Bailey earlier, too, about a lot of times people think it's all or nothing, all or nothing. Well, it doesn't have to be. Even if you've got a small farm, take Take 10 acres and, and see what kind of difference you can make doing things just a little bit differently because I get it. It, it. Like you say, Ray, sometimes people say, man, I'm broke. I, I just can't I can't take a hit right now financially. Well, do it on a really small-scale basis. What if it's a home run for you? Wouldn't you like to have a couple yeah. of those too? Oh, my gosh. And think about nitrogen's really expensive right now. If you cover that soil, well, guess what it does? The, the, the cover crop and the microbe will sequester the nitrogen and hold it in their bodies, and then they'll release it. When you kill the cover crop, it will release all that nitrogen back to your following corn or to your following crop. You, it's catch and release. You held it. You held it in the microbe in the plant. What a way 
for not to lose nitrogen and all those nutrients you're spending a lot of money in. So think about that. And I think people don't understand how that soil works. And I didn't. And I went to graduate school for soils. And I, I was just, it was taught out of context. And so once you believe that the soil is alive and understand it, it changes your whole, changes everything for you. Yeah, it's foundational thought, no doubt about that. We're talking with Ray Archuleta yeah. here, and it's always inspiring when you talk to Ray. And, you know, nobody loves the soil more than Ray does. It, when you look at it this way, and you're right, soil is alive. We have to treat it that way. And whether whether you look at it as, uh, and I like this too, and I've heard this before, the plant is the mouth of the soil, or uh, you yep. just think about the value of, of every living thing out there. It's it's really critical that you manage it well. Uh, Ray, thank you for, for inspiring all of us. We really appreciate that and, and good well, luck to you. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you calling me. It's, it's nice. It's nice to to he- get a different uh, ecological view on how to view our agriculture system. Thank you for what you guys do. Oh, you bet. Thanks a lot, Ray. We really appreciate it. Uh, we're talking about reducing erosion on the farm today, and our phone lines are open as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you would like to join the discussion or if you have any any comments or agronomic questions, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is open as well, radio at agphd.com. we get a number of emails to look at, and we're talking about trucking and just all the, the grain trucking that happens this time of year. And I get one from MB, says, I've always loved uh, what you do on an Ag PhD in your farm basics segment. I see a lot of old stock trucks for sale and just scratch my head. Uh, these these old trucks uh, used to be the way we got things done. You're absolutely right. It's it's really changed. You think about how many bushels farmers are getting average yield now compared to what they were not that many years ago. That uh, You're right. It's big, big trucks now for sure. We'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this. Stay tuned. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. 
We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering this and much more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I've been talking about reducing erosion on the show today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And uh, got one of our friends on the line right now, Bo Shropshire from out in California. He's a consultant out there. Bo, how you doing? I'm doing good, Darren. Hey, uh, in talking about soil erosion, uh, we started here in California quite a few years ago working with uh, total material daily loads. They were worried about how much soil was leaving the, the fields and uh, we started working with a product called silt bond it's a polymer and we uh we sprinkle it into the irrigation water and it, what it does is it pulls the particles together and pushes them down and sticks them to the surface uh we're using about two pounds per acre and uh that's running irrigation water over say a 12 or 24 hour cycle something like that but what we did to verify how that was working, Darren, was we, we went out and used a turbidimeter. We would gather a sample of water coming off the field, and it would it puts a beam of light through that sample to figure out how much actual silt is in that in that sample. So the meter reads a thousand, and so we did two fields side by side, one with the product, one without the product. Without the product, the meter pegged at a thousand, looked like a chocolate milkshake. We, uh, using two pounds per acre of silt bond and, uh, went and captured some water at the end of the field and it registered eight. Wow. I mean, we, we took, we took some, um, you know, Aquafina bottled water and it was six. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it's amazing. Yeah, that is, that is pretty interesting. And, you know, uh, a lot of times we get questions from people. Hey, have have people on from California more often? I know those guys have got a little more scrutiny on some of their practices at times, and certainly the irrigation water has got to be highly scrutinized out there and, and tough to get some years yeah. too. So it's important to keep everything. Oh where, yeah, where without a doubt. Yep. So what are some what are farmer information on that on that polymer is is in Texas they did some studies with the uh, Texas Department of, of uh, Transportation. And, you know, where they revegetate the on-ramps on the freeways, you know, they're bare and they're going with a hydro seeder and they'll put down seed and fertilizer and stuff to get some, some vegetation back on those uh, off-ramps and off 
And uh, you can actually go up to a higher rate of about 18 pounds an acre, and it will hold a 30-degree slope in a six-inch rain. Wow. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, wow. that's, that's shocking. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, it's it's kind of wild. We, we did some studies where we were showing, uh, and, and I'll send this to you on an email to, to you guys. Yeah, thank but you. There was a deal where we we had uh, uh, a, a treated sample and an untreated sample, water going into a soil cylinder, and you could see the distribution of the water. And with the product, the water spread out. Without the water, without the product, the water just went straight down. So, you know, when we're talking about trying to keep that water up above that uh, – a water table, if you can spread it out, it's certainly going to do a better job. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, great tip, Bo. We really yeah. appreciate that. It's it's kind of fun when you get to work in a lot of different crops, you get access to uh, trying a lot of different things out there. So I'm glad you ran the test. Kudos to you, and, and thanks for sharing the info. Yeah, one of the things that we did a bunch with is carrots. On uh, When you're running gated pipe on carrots, and you're normally putting carrots on fairly light soils. I mean, what most we call light you know, aren't really light soils, but I mean, you know, they'd, they'd be a CEC of maybe uh, 12 to 15. Okay. But for years, what guys have done was to go out and lay plastic on the, on the, across the furrows to, to keep the erosion from, you know, blasting out because of that gated pipe pushing water out. And uh, by using that silt bond, we got rid of having to worry about that plastic the labor of laying it, the labor of picking it up, you know, and then disposing of it, you know, and how do you do that? The landfill, all those kinds of things. And that po- that polymer product actually breaks down over time. So in, you know, 10 months, it's pretty much gone. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that, Bo, and look forward to seeing your email too. You betcha. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Darren. Have a good one. See you, later. Bye. you too. Uh, let's head down to Southwest Missouri. You got Jim on with us right now with the weed control question. Jim, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. What can we do for you? It's kind of off subject, but uh, I'm barnyard grass and sweet corn. I cannot get rid of it. What have you used so far, Jim? Uh, I don't. I had the MFA Agri Center mix me up something, and it it didn't work. Last two years, I put atrazine on it. Yep. Uh, I I just wonder if it's a wonder drug. Well, not a wonder drug, but uh, I'll tell you how you can kill it all. So what you would want to start with is either Outlook or Dual at the full rate. And then you'd want to come post-emerge with either Loudus or Impact along with a half a pound of atrazine. And between those two shots, the pre and the post, uh, you're... Barnyard grass will be gone. I think one of the challenges, Jim, is, is especially where you're at too in southwest Missouri, everybody's concerned about pigweed control. And so so everybody's putting in uh, low rates of grass herbicide and high rates of broadleaf herbicide in those pre emerged products. This is sweet corn, though, we're talking about. I understand, here. but they'll end so. up using something like, a, you know, a. Uh, an HPPD combination with a group 15 and, and we're not getting that full rate of a group 15. So I think to me that that's a big help. And then the other yep. thing that I'd think about doing is round up pretty sweet corn. Then you get the choice of well, roundup post-emerge. Yeah. I, but that's uh, I do a lot of the men and I'd sell the sweet corn for me and they don't 
like the GMO. Oh, gotcha. Yep, gotcha. no problem. So, yeah, like I say, just start with Outlook or Dual at the full rate, and then you follow post-emerge with either Loudus or Impact. And either way you go, Loudus or Impact, they're both about the same thing. And just use a half a pound of atrazine or so along with that. Atrazine by itself is it's actually three times more active on broadleaves than it is on grass. And so while atrazine's a little helper, especially to these HPPD products like Loudus and Impact, I can understand why if you use that in the past and that was your main thing, that it just didn't quite do it on the barnyard grass. But yeah, you get two shots on it here with the pre followed by the post and you'll have your barnyard grass pretty well wiped out. On the post, how tall can you go with the corn? Uh, well, you don't want to go tall. You you want to base it on the barnyard grass rather than on the corn. And so as soon as that barnyard grass gets up an inch or two, then you go hit it again. And both okay. the, your pre and your post will have residual. But the big thing is we just don't want it to get big. So let's just well, say, for example, you get your pre on, and then for whatever reason you're a little dry, so the pre isn't 100% because it was kind of dry. I don't worry about spraying the post a little bit on the early side. I'd way rather have you spray it early than late. Okay, that's northwest Missouri, not southwest. Oh, sorry, sorry. Well, pigweed's still a challenge there, too, I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully that helps you out there, Jim. I sure appreciate it. You no bet. problem. Thanks, you it would be nice. <laughs> Yep. Uh, I always tell people I, I am rooting for a drought from, I, I mean, at least on our farm, every everybody's different, but on our farm, I'm rooting for a drought from like September 1 all the way until let's call it uh, May 1 or something like that. I want no snow or very little snow. I don't like scooping snow and I don't want rain when we're trying to harvest in the fall and do tillage and strip till and fertilizer and soil testing and all the jobs. So no, we feel for you if you're getting rain. So hopefully it dries out soon for you. All tillage is a thing of the past this year because it's, uh, I don't think it'll ever get that dry. Yeah. It's yep. Good for the cover crop. Yep. It sure is. All right, Jim, great talking to you today. Thanks for calling in. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right. Get this question from Matt, and he said, I'm in central North Dakota, CEC soils of 20 to 30. How many gallons of 28% do you think I'd be safe putting three quarters of an inch above? and three-quarters of an inch to the side of corn seed. I was thinking of eight or ten gallons. you think that'd be okay? Yes. Okay, and then he also <laughs> said, uh, with the fall nitrogen here, first-year strip tilling, curious why we shouldn't put urea down in the fall versus anhydrous. I think if we put it two to four inches at this time of year, it's going to freeze. In our heavy ground, we'd be okay. Or is the urea going to convert to nitrate too fast? It's going to convert to nitrate pretty quickly, so it just depends on if you're not worried about denitrification in the spring or leaching, those would be my fears. So if you get uh, a high water table or anything like that, I, I would worry. So yeah, I just don't like doing it. I think it's a little too risky, but if you want to try it, you sure can. Just make sure you plant really early in the spring. That'll help. What if they put a, a nitrate inhibitor? Yeah, ni nitrogen stabilizer. That's certainly going to help, but it's not going to solve the problem entirely. Again, for me and my farm, I'm not doing fall urea. You certainly can if you want to put it down deep though. Thanks for the question, and thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.